0: This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts, I am Ann Candido.
1: And I am April Martini.
0: And today we're gonna talk about a topic that's getting a lot of attention, that is NILs, or name, image, and likeness. Since the NCAA has changed the rules on how college athletes can profit off their name, image, and likeness, it has really felt like the wild west. It really has. Yes. And the infrastructure hasn't yet been developed, so the rules and processes are really ambiguous and really open to interpretation. Which, unfortunately, is often to the detriment of the athlete who doesn't yet have the business savvy or the professional sport to battle the brands and businesses are looking to hire them. So the result is that some, not all, businesses and brands are taking advantage of the situation to their own benefit.
1: Yes, and quite frankly, this bad behavior just makes us mad so this episode is for those college students looking to leverage their nil this is not a replacement we will say for having a good business manager lawyers other professionals to help you negotiate these deals but at least we're going to try to give you some education which should help you have a better sense of when something shady may be going on before you sign anything and if any of you know of a college athlete using their nil help them out by sharing this episode with them if you would And yes, and to help
0: us with this topic today, we have an expert. His name is Nicholas Lord. He's the founder and CEO of No Cap Sports. And Nick, we're so happy to have you today. You want to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. uh, Thank you guys for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, I'm Nick Lord, the CEO and co-founder of No Cap Sports, um, athlete marketing, technology and services company, uh, navigating this new NIL space, space, working with college athletes and brands um, alike. So excited to be here and talk about the topic with you guys.
0: Yeah, awesome. This is going to be a really good one. And before we get started, let's get some terminology aligned to you up front, just to make sure we're all on the same page as we're going through this episode for us, as much as the listener, I'm going to refer to these types of deals where you leverage your NIL with a brand or business as endorsement deals. Now, they could be called a bunch of different things, but whether you are short-term or long-term with these brands, or you're doing a social post or some sort of extended marketing effort, in some way you're demonstrating endorsement. So we're just going to talk about these all in one big category of endorsement deals. Because that's really what the brand is paying for. And so also, as I talk about brand, you can also contextualize that as being a business or something else or whatever entity that you're signing up with. So we're going to talk brand, meaning the whole business structure as well as endorsement deals being all of these things that you could be doing. Yeah. Right. All right. So let's jump into four insider tips a college athlete should know to better negotiate an NIL deal. Oh God, this is going to be a a tongue twister. Yeah, say it it five times fast. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one is to get appropriately compensated for exclusivity. So here is the reality of the situation. I'm going to be speaking a lot from the brand side and the business side because that is the side I come from. So I spent a lot of time working in corporate and P&G, brokering these deals, negotiating these deals, executing these deals, and then also uh, dealing with all of the outcomes, whether they're good or bad associated with these deals. So that's the perspective I'm coming from here. So I'm gonna be giving you those insider tips and knowledge. And one is on exclusivity. And the big one here is that a brand is gonna try to get as much exclusivity as they can for as little cost as possible. That's just the reality of the situation. That is reality of doing business. And exclusivity means prohibiting you from working with any other brands in some capacity. So the moral here is you do not want to give up exclusivity without considering the implications and being compensated appropriately. And to realize that there are several tiers of exclusivity here, but a general rule of thumb is the more broad the restriction, the higher the compensation. Yep. So let's or talk- so it should be, or so it should be. Right. So let's talk about how this could look. So first, what they're going to probably ask for is the basic, and this is the standard where they're going to say, you cannot do any other business with a direct competitor. That's what you should expect. That's kind of like the going in baseline assumption. Make sure you get the list or what their direct competitors are. It should only be like three to five, not like 10 to 20, or more, or more. So make sure that you're really understanding who their direct competitors are so that you can appropriately determine if this is within the realm of what is expected or not. Now, what they could ask, and this is where sometimes a 10 to 20 gets to be a little bit of an issue, is that you're not doing any other business with any other brand in the industry. So then you wanna consider how many additional brand deals you might get, or could have gotten as a result of being able to work with these others in the industry and then want to price it appropriately, right? Because really what they're doing is they're basically blocking you out of doing any additional work. And if it's a category that really makes sense for you, that could be could have been pretty lucrative. So for example, if you're a soccer player and somebody wants you to endorse their soccer cleats, okay? So that's one level of endorsement. But then as part of the exclusivity, they come back and say, well, we want you also to be exclusive and you have to wear our shirts, our t-shirts and our shorts. Right, that is an additional level of exclusivity. And so you should be appropriately compensated for that. So what that means then is that you start to then anticipate and ask for more because shorts and shirts could be at a whole nother level of endorsement. And that could be a different brand, that could be a different category. So you need to think about what that looks like. Now, the top, top level is they'll say, you can't do any other brands altogether. Now, this is very unlikely because it's actually not good for either one it tends to be extremely expensive, so it's cost prohibitive. But for you as an athlete who's trying to gain your popularity, it doesn't really make sense for you either. So it's hard to find a number that actually would be justifiable to say, all right, I'm going to limit my popularity, my exposure here for just your brand. But then also, I'm going to say this and I'm going to pass this over to Nick, is that you need to consider when they want the exclusivity. So many are going to try to lock you down during time periods like playoffs or tournaments and you need to be very very careful here because there could be some conflicts with other brands and other sponsors who have exclusivity to those specific events yep but also note that some brands are going to ask you to have exclusivity no matter where you show up so for example if you do have that shirt and shorts uh, endorsement deal they might expect you no matter when you're wearing that shirt and shorts to be wearing their shirt and shorts so if you show up at the gym, and you're wearing somebody else's shirt and shorts, and somebody snaps you and they post that, you could be in breach of contract. So definitely need to be looking at all that fine writing and making sure that the details are there and that you understand those details and you understand that language. And also make sure you understand the length of when the endorsement deal runs out. Because usually it's at the end of the contract, but sometimes they try to work some things in that goes beyond the contract, which is generally not something you want to sign up for. So, Nick, I just talked a lot. I would love your yeah. expertise <laughs> and your perspective on this. Um, and I'm sure you have plenty of stories to tell about what you've encountered.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was a great kind of synopsis there, too. Um, but working with brands and, and athletes on a, on a daily basis, we, we see this exclusivity term um, thrown around all the time. Um, and for a lot of a lot of these, this is the first time athletes are are hearing this. Um, so it's really important for them to to research what exactly that means for you know their likelihood, because because um, you know a lot of these athletes have don't have agents, um, and that's what most people don't really realize. Um, so if you do agree to you know exclusivity, make sure it is in an industry and, and a brand that you really care about, especially if it's a lengthier exclusivity period. Um, the when is also very important, as you mentioned, um, and for example, you wouldn't want to gate engage, engage in a super long exclusivity period during something like March madness. Um, because. There's so much uncertainty of what could happen. Um, I could engage in a deal at the beginning of March Madness and I end up having some of the best games of my life and I become extremely marketable and a ton of brands are approaching me and I could miss out um, on some opportunities that um, could surface there. Another point you mentioned, I think it's really important to have the brand explicitly explicitly state um, what other brands you can't work with, just so there's no misunderstanding when it comes to uh, what brands you can and can't work with. Um, But I think the general rule of thumb should be, you know, the broader the exclusivity, um, the less or the shorter the period should be um, that you're agreeing to. Um, So, uh, you know, I think you made a a lot of great points and covered most of it, but um, those are kind of the the little pieces I would add um, for sure. And then another thing I would also say is kind of think about it um, a little bit more in depth when you're agreeing to a deal. Like if I'm working with a, I don't know, for example, a granola company. And if changing the exclusivity is going to kill that deal, like realistically, think about how many granola companies are probably going to approach me if, you know, if they're asking for a six month period, probably not likely a granola company is going to, another granola company is going to approach me. So it might be okay to engage in something like that, but that's like super um, specific. So agreeing to something more, you know, broad is definitely something you want to look out for, but these really specific ones, I think, you know, they're definitely more okay. If
1: that makes sense. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. you touched on a couple good things there. So just to kind of emphasize the points, I, I think the one is, and and you said at the beginning, it's a little bit of a wild west, right? And so I think Nick, your comment about the lack of agents in this space, paired with the fact that it's newer, makes it that much more important to really hone in on the terms and where brands may be attempting to get you, quote unquote. And I'm not saying that from like a malicious standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. But this is business, especially on the side of those brands. And so they're going to go for what is best for their business. And so I think when we think about the professional realm, it's a different world, right, because you Mm -hmm. have agents and you have folks. You really have like a board of directors almost on your side that's yeah. looking out for you from all angles of this and so i think the caution here And, you know, lawyer's daughter, I'm always thinking about the fine print here, but, you know, is really make sure that you clearly understand what you're signing up for no matter what. And also the knowledge that exclusivity is one of the big hot buttons. So if that comes up in the contract, you really have to make sure that you understand the ins and outs of what that looks like. And then I think the other thing you mentioned, Nick, which is really important to emphasize the point, is making sure that you're signing up with brands that make sense for you. And so you used the granola example, right? And the terms and how how many yeah. granola brands are gonna reach out, right? So yeah. that point is well taken. But then on the other side, I think if you're gonna enter into exclusivity with a brand, you darn well better have a positive opinion at the very least and at the very best, feel like it's part of your personal brand to be associated with that brand.
2: Absolutely. One One also thing I would add to that is, I think, you know, in general a lot of brands maybe have taken advantage of athletes in a couple of different ways um, when it comes to NIL just because they're so new to it. Um I think there's been a lot of affiliate and product deals. I don't think in any circumstance you should be agreeing to any sort of exclusivity unless you're getting paid cash to be honest. And I've, we've seen that a lot. We've had you know we've worked with brands that are mainly trying to do affiliate deals or mainly trying to do product deals and they're trying to get athletes to only talk about that brand for a certain period of time and i think you know in general if you're not getting paid for it you shouldn't have to agree to any sort of exclusivity
0: and right and they shouldn't be able to require that unless you're under contract anyway right because giving you a product could be a quote-unquote form of compensation but you Mm -hmm. do not need to see it that way so don't feel like oh because they gave me these shoes all of a sudden i'm beholden to the brand unless there's a contract that states so and i think nick you're totally right i would never sign a contract that says that i have to have some sort of exclusivity with a brand just because they gave me a free product.
2: Yeah, we've seen it happen.
0: Yeah, i, I'm I believe sure that- you
1: do.
0: <laughs> and just one comment on agents as well, because I think a lot yeah. of folks say that, or think, especially if you're, you're new to the game, think that an agent's going to be your savior. Um I've I've been involved too, in too many situations from Olympic athletes to professional athletes to tell you that's just not so. So even if you are had the benefit of an agent either you're paying the agent or you have some sort of affiliation with an agent still do your homework. It's really important that you do your homework because I'm going to tell you not all athletes are created equal. Yes. So the agent you're going to get versus an agent that is doing you know, a big deal with one of the professional athletes is going to be very, very different and because they're compensated very differently for those things. So just be very careful there. Don't use that as a safeguard to say, well, I have an agent, therefore I'm protected.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing about NIL is like kind of anyone can become an agent. To an extent, yes. I mean, sometimes family members are representing athletes um, for their NIL deals. So I think, in general, it's important to get a second opinion, whether that is someone in your athletic department, whether that's some sort of legal counsel that you potentially could get in touch with, um, or if it's just do, having to do research on your own. But I wouldn't trust just one opinion um, in general, just because there's so many different people popping up now that are claiming they're agents that probably don't have the credibility to do to be so. So that's another point I definitely want to make.
0: Yeah, I think that is a really good point. All right, so the second and tip a college athlete should know to better negotiate an NIL deal is to be really good at creating branded content. And April alluded to this in a, a second ago is that really content is king and it's going to be one of the primary reasons that brands hire you. They want access to your following. The reason why they want you is because they can't reach the audience that you are reaching authentically on their own. So they want you to basically help them make that connection in a way that the that audience is going then to like that brand as well. So in order to make yourself marketable, you really need to do two things. You need to generate a following that appreciates your point of view, that appreciates who you are as a person and appreciates your lifestyle more than just beyond your sport that's going to help make you marketable and then also you need to give brands some love uh, this is a way whenever somebody asks me and i've been approached by a gazillion athletes from nfl athletes all the way to olympic athletes like how do i get an endorsement deal with png i said show you love some of the brands show what you can do and what kind of impact and what kind of results you can get when you do put a brand out there that helps people see that yes, you are can authentically generate this kind of content, that's going to be valuable to the brand. So be a little bit proactive in that. And that's going to help give an immediate way of those brands to understand the impact that you can generate. And so the next point is that you know, you should expect and you're going to want the actual brand to give you a message track. This is really, really important. And, and this is where you have to start doing a little bit of negotiation too, is because you are going to want to be able to translate what the brand's intent is into your own words, right? If the brand is giving you a message track and say, you have to say this, you definitely need to push back because you don't wanna ruin your credibility with your audience by saying something that looks very forced, very inauthentic, very salesy, very advertising-y. Is that a word? Advertising-y, we'll we'll allow it.
2: We can make it one, yeah. Yeah,
0: we can make it (laughs) one for (laughs) today. You need to maintain your authenticity. That's what makes you marketable. And so you, the art comes and being able to translate that. So it does feel very much like it's coming from you. And as April said, it's better if you're familiar with the brand. It's better if you like the brand. That comes off as way more authentic than you trying to pimp out some brand that you have no association with, or more obviously, you wouldn't have any association with. Nick, what are some examples, good and bad, you've seen of this?
2: Oh man, I have so many uh, that we.
1: <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> that question. have come across. Of, like, my brain floods with like so many. Examples. Yeah. I'm like, how do I pick?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know, in general, looking at the NIL space, I think it's evolved over time. In the first year, I think at the beginning there was so I saw this so many different times, and it really made me mad just seeing this kind of content come up. But just like athletes, like we'll take like, let's say example, a protein bar company that sponsored an athlete and they'll just lay the protein bar on their bed or like on the desk or something. And they will take a picture of it and post it on social media with like a discount link.
1: Oh and that,
2: no. Yeah, that's the content you, you really don't want to see. I think I, I'll say this a million times, but you really want to try to align with brands that you use on a daily basis consistently, you know, exactly what kind of their Um, their brand is what they're what they're about what they what their mission statement is things like that Um, because that just makes for better content um, in general and kind of to your message too and I think most brands are going to obviously give you some sort of message track but I want you know you have to make sure to be able to have as much control over that as possible um, just because you want to be able to turn it into your own basically shape that um, wording or shape that narrative, um, in your own way to the audience that you're usually pushing out to. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest keys, um, when it comes to creating content for, uh, for brand partners that you're working with.
1: This, this one always makes me think of anytime we get into this conversation about whether we're talking about NILs or any sort of endorsement or partnership or, or whatever is really giving the people on the other end of the content credit. Right? Because I think your example really translates well of, you know, you see a protein bar show up in some place that could really be anybody's place, right? And it feels a little lazy in execution. And it's also kind of a, well, what am I supposed to take away from that? And so I feel like as the viewer, consumer, whatever, on the other side of that, first of all, we're bombarded with so many messages. But second of all, if you want your personal brand to live and be authentic with those people on the other end, you have to do that work for yourself. So yes, it's partnering with the right type of brand, but I think to the points both of you made around the messaging track, but also just the pure execution of what you're putting out there, you have to make sure that you're working hard so that that consumer will be fill in the blank, excited, compelled to do something, Mm -hmm. compelled to engage, say, oh man, that makes perfect sense that so-and-so is associated with that brand, or I'm glad to see that, or or have a point of view at all on what they're seeing. Otherwise, it's a waste on both ends, but especially into the point of this episode for the athlete because they're doing damage to their own brand in a pretty significant way when they're putting that out there to their entire community.
2: Absolutely, yeah the best content that I've seen is where an athlete kind of ties a story into it. Video content, I think has done the best so far when it comes to NIL. Um, I'll give an example, we just did a deal with um, Tyson and they have this new uh, meatless chicken. Um, And there was a female athlete from uh, Florida, she's a gymnastics athlete, and she never eats meat. And she had this whole story with the promotion about how she never ate meat, but she's trying this like new, like fake meat essentially um and she made she went to the store she like bought it she went home it was like a video of her trying it and everything her reaction um and it actually made it for a pretty cool piece of content that you know didn't really even feel like an ad um so i think the content like that is is definitely does a lot better and i also like the the types of content where it's not um it's not forced it's not only brand oriented so there's some sort of like um, there's an athlete working out and it, let's say it's a sports drink company and then they'll take a break from working out and they'll take a sip and they'll talk about it um, and then they go back to working out. Um, so when it's not just all focused on um, the brand, it's more and get organic. I think that's also uh, um, a good thing that athletes can do.
0: Please tell me that within that that gymnast, when she was doing the, the Tyson meatless chicken, the hashtag was taste like chicken. <laughs>
2: uh, I'll have to check on that, but that would have been a good hashtag if it's not.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just that's just what kind of just popped in my head. But I think you guys bring up really, really good points. And I think the if I was gonna wrap this this point in a bow, I was gonna say that you need to treat your social channels like marketing channels, right? I mean, you need to cultivate them as such. And I think what you said about being lazy in terms of creating content, it's also being intentional and in what content you're creating, even if it's outside of brand content. So you need to avoid things that brands are gonna look at and go, eh, I'm not so sure," because if it reflects negatively on them then they're going to be like, "Eh, that association may not be something that's best for my brand. So you need to really watch out on political comments. You need to watch out on taking extreme points of view on social issues. You need to watch out about putting any kind of hate on there or like trying to do any kind of attacks on anybody. All those things start to culminate into a perception of who you are and whether or not it's a loose cannon or I can't I'm not sure what they say or how they act or how they behave is going to be consistent with my brand equity, my brand character. If you want to do brand work, if you want to do endorsement deals, you have to understand that your marketing channel is your social channels. That's your primary one. And it's your best asset and you need to protect it as such.
1: Absolutely. All
0: right. So our third insider tip that college athletes should know to better negotiate an NIL deal is to clarify usage rights and get the appropriate approvals from the team, university and league. So in most cases, the only NIL you have access to is yours. And I'm gonna ask Nick to clarify all this because I speak from the context of what I understand from professional sports, but I think it translates. But again, we're talking about the wild west here. So there may be some rules or maybe not some (laughs) rules. But what that means is if that you're doing a deal where your brand wants you to show up in your marks, whether it's your school's marks or your team's marks, that might require additional approvals, an additional yes. deal. It's kind of like when you see all the Subway commercials and you see all of those athletes who are hawking Subway sandwiches and they're not in any of their marks, that's because Subway does not have a deal with any of those athletes' teams. Mm-hmm. They can't use those marks because they don't have a deal with that. So Be very, very careful here in making sure, again, as you're negotiating with the brand, that you understand how they want you to show up and don't inadvertently agree to something that you haven't gotten the approvals for and don't assume anything, okay? Now, again, there's tiers to this pricing as well, right? So... The most common when you're talking about what kind of exposure you're going to have, and this comes to how you're gonna use your NIL, is what we were just talked about, about social posting and appearances. Now, this has some limited extended rights too, where a lot of the brands will want to repost that on their social or put it on their website. These are generally okay, right? So you could think about that in, in those terms. When they wanna start using what they're doing now in terms of advertising, which has much broader exposure, that is generally a higher price tier. So that'd be like ads or billboards or collateral or something that's a little bit more fundamentally broader or bigger. So you also need here to be thinking about the length of time that's specified in the contract for usage of these things as well. Now, generally when your contract is over, they need to stop using all of these things, yes. right? So the only exception here is social. Once something's out in social, something's out in social for eternity. There's nothing you can do about that. But for things that are on their website, or TV ads, or billboards, or things that can come down, those things should come down. So Nick, what have you seen? And how have you helped people understand what they need to do with regards to their, to their usage rights?
2: Yeah, for sure. I'll start with the the IP part of it, university IP. That's a mess still, Um, I I will be honest. Um, So there's no specific answer that I could give to that question. But um, it depends on a school by school basis. Each school has different policy that they have. And there's also restrictions in what types of brands you can and can't work with. So if I'm promoting on the a university side. Um, yeah. So if I'm, if if my university is, let's say sponsored by Nike, um, ah, yep, yep. probably cannot do a deal with Under Armour as an athlete. So um, that's also something to work, look out for. But when it comes to actually utilizing school marks in any sort of endorsement, that's a process that you have to go by on a school-by-school on a school basis. And there's also some state laws that have that interpreted in there as well. Yeah, and that and that's something also the brands have to usually pay extra for um, when it comes to using IP. Um, so that's very case-by-case. Case. Um, but on general usage rights of content, most of the deals we've done are social media. I think a, a big thing to call out is the type or the way that the brand is gonna be using that content. So if they're gonna be using it on their social media organically, or if they're gonna do something like paid media with that content, because if I'm a brand and I decide to you know, just post it on my social media, that's different than me, the brand, putting, let's say $1,000 behind uh, that content and boosting it to thousands or millions of people, um, my content's not gonna be in the eyes of way more people than I had originally thought. Um, so athletes, if there is a paid media component, um, we've tried to kind of call that out to make sure athletes get paid for um, the amount of eyes that are actually going to see their content, not just the type of usage that they that they have in their contract.
1: Interesting. So you said most of this is socially led. I mean, I have an idea of why that is, but just <laughs> why do you <laughs> think that that is such the focus and or if it's paired with other things, what are those things typically?
2: Yeah, that's just those are the most of the deals that we've done. We just do a lot of social media campaigns with brands. Um, We have done a good amount of like appearances and things like that. Um, I'll give an example. We do a lot of work with this company called College Hunks Hauling Junk. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. They're all they're all over the place, Um, but uh, they've done tons of deals. They probably sponsor at this point 15 to 20 different teams um, across the nation. Um, And in each one of those scenarios we had to go through uh, the university to figure out if we could use their school marks for those sponsorships and how long they could, or college honours could post that on their website, um, how long they can post that on their social media, and if they were allowed to wear certain things to uh, these, uh, these basically appearances. So that's, that's kind of an example of some of the nuances that we've had when dealing with some of these, I would say, both in-person and social campaigns.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're hearing, again, the caution here of, it sounds like there is no standard. (laughs) I think that's pretty fair to say. Mm -hmm. And then also, again, I mean, I feel like we've harked on the the whole idea of doing your homework. And so this is another one where it's, you know, not making assumptions or thinking certain things are going to be possible and making sure to cover your bases is really what I'm hearing throughout this. Because I think, Mistakes can be costly, whether we're talking about the brand or the image or both, quite frankly, all, especially since there aren't standard practices out there for people to be looking to at least to even have sort of like a barometer gauge of, of what to do. It sounds like it's really, honestly, you have to figure it out each time as if it's brand new.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I think time time frame too is also really important here. I'll give the example of March Madness again. Let's say I sign a a deal in uh, January and, uh, the, the brand has usage rights all the way to the, you know, like let's say may and the brand doesn't really do much with the, the content until March Madness. Now I'm now in March Madness, I'm performing really well. Then they start to utilize that content and boost it to to tons of people. Cause everyone knows who I am. Um, now because I'm playing well, um, I wish that was the case. It's cr- currently, not <laughs> myself. but so you just want to be careful in terms of the, the length of time that you're giving these usage rights, two, um, or four, um, just so that you're not, you know, locking yourselves into yourself in any long-term agreement and kind of hindering yourself from being able to monetize that your brand more at certain periods of time.
0: Yeah. In, in one question related to approvals, is it generally been your experience as the athlete's responsibility to get all the approvals from the university and their sport and, and whatever else they need to get, or is it the brands or businesses responsibility to get those?
2: Yeah, uh, it depends on the kind of the scale of the campaign is what I've seen. If it's a one-off brand and they're sponsoring one athlete, um, a lot of the time the athlete will be in charge of that. But there's also scenarios in which I'm a brand and I'm sponsoring twenty different athletes across the country, and I'm I'm going to get those approvals myself. There's also different organizations at some of these universities that handle that um, on behalf of athletes. Again, it's like it's a case by case thing when it comes to this whole IP um, scenario, but. Um, It's really about just doing your homework and figuring out what you're exactly allowed to do and what you can't do and who's going to be in charge of getting that um, approval.
0: All right. So, yeah, the moral of the story, too, is to ask the questions, right? So don't assume uh, and definitely don't agree to anything without checking first, (laughs) for sure, because it could get you in a whole world of trouble, litigation trouble that you do not need.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right, so our fourth insider tip that college athletes should know to better negotiate an NIL deal is to know your worth. And as we said before, this is another one that requires you to do research and seek the advice of people who know, like Nick. He's a good resource for all of you guys to really understand what the growing rate for athletes are and in, in, in different tiers. And so they could better guide you to really understand how you should really be benchmarking yourself You can try to Google it, it is not a good idea. Um, A lot of those are inflated and a lot of those are pseudo again, agents trying to pluck you and pull you and sell you a line about how they can help you, which is not actually really, really true. But no, that pricing and, and how you price yourself is not going to be an easy thing. Because it's a very big battle between what you think you're worth and what somebody's willing to pay. I mean, oh, yeah. we say that all the time. Like, how much is a as a house worth? It's whatever somebody's willing to buy it for. So you have to kind of consider yep. that. So I really suggest, and Nick, I'm going to ask you in a second what your 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 thoughts are too on this, but I really suggest not to be too rigid, especially for your first few deals. You may need to take something initially less than what you think you're worth in order to get some traction. And then, as you said, like when things start hitting, like March Madness, if you were smart and savvy in negotiating your contract, you can start asking for more money as a result of doing that, right? So there's kind of an escalated level of value depending on how you start showing up in the world around you right so think about the fact that your primary goal here is not necessarily an in and out but is to build relationships because that's what's going to give you the ongoing revenue okay so you're going to want to exercise that and you're going to want to be able to fuel that for as long as you possibly can in order to be able to get everything that you are worth So here's a few tips here that um, you can specifically think about as you're thinking about how to negotiate yourself or somebody's negotiating on behalf of you. So you can definitely demand more when you're in season. So this has been our experience, my experience specifically, with Olympic athletes. Uh, Olympic athletes, when they are gearing up for the Olympics, are worth astronomically more than when they're not. Okay, so Mm -hmm. make sure you take advantage of that. This is a time to seize what you're worth. Don't nickel and dime. Again, this is what I'm talking about. Think beyond just a short-term opportunity of being able to get that money in your pocket now. You should be trying to build relationships, unless you believe that your window of opportunity is so small that you have to get everything that you possibly can in that small window. That's generally not the case, but there are circumstances where that's the case. Uh, Invest a bit, like what I said before, when I've been asked, how do I get endorsement deals? I said, show some love for some brands, do that. Do that and do some extra things above and beyond your contract that don't dilute your worth, but that helps show goodwill. A big thing that athletes used to do for us is used to do like a high video to the organization. People eat that up. I mean, they just love to hear from these guys who are talking directly to them. So do something that could add a little bit of sizzle without it diluting what you would have actually made in order to kind of go do that, call it as part of your contract. And then realize that just because someone else is getting it doesn't mean you will. So this is the thing that was the hardest for a lot yeah. of athletes to understand. It's like, well, hey, I'm a starting tight end. I, and he's a starting tight end. And they do talk. So they're like, why is he getting paid more than I'm getting paid? I'm like, well, you're starting tight end for this team. And they're starting tight end for this team. <laughs> They've been around a long way. had five Bowls, And you're still just kind of coming up right so don't miss your opportunity by inflating your worth or feeling like you're worth more than you are in the moment and letting those opportunities slide by you now that also means don't underestimate your worth too you need to know what your minimum number is that's worth your time and effort to go do this because it is going to take some time and effort and you should realize that so there should be a minimum number you're like i'm willing to negotiate but this is what I need to get in order to make it worth my time and money. So Nick, what are the other tips that you tell people as they're negotiating their worth?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think think the key, like you said, is to kind of be open, um, especially when you're early in the um, endorsement sponsorship um, arena. Um, I think there's no really way to price yourself if you haven't really done any endorsements yet. I think you need to build up kind of a a roster of um, sponsorships that you've done in order to kind of benchmark yourself at a certain um, point. Um, so I think by doing that, that's how you can kind of set maybe general guidelines around what you should, what you should do. But um, also, you may be willing to take less for a brand that you really care about, um, as well. And that might lead to longer term potential um, for you and that brand. But I think in the NIL space in general, there's a kind of ske- a skewed reality of what you know, athletes are worth, I think, there's these there's tons of companies out there now that like price athletes at certain amounts, I just don't really buy that yet, I think, to an extent, you're worth what someone's willing to pay you. So I, I think just looking at uh, like a bunch of numbers online and basing yourself off that is is kind of not the way to to go about it. I think it I think it matters on a case by case basis for you as the individual. Um, and I thought I also, um, there's this concept in the NIL space called collectives, um, where Boosters and donors and of universities are pulling together money and paying athletes with that money, essentially, um, in exchange for doing things. And a lot of the time, those the amounts of that of those comp- the amount of that compensation is is much larger than they would be worth in if they were sponsored by a brand. Um, so it's also creating some misconceptions about what athletes should be getting when they're working with a brand. I think some athletes are losing deals because um, they got paid by a collective a certain amount and a brand offered less. Um, when in reality, that's probably what they should have been paid. So I think that's important to call out as well, but one, uh, one also point I would make, um, that that I think you said, and, um, is the investment part. Um, we've seen a lot of athletes get deals because they have kind of put themselves out there and explained why they want to work with a certain brand for 99% of athletes brands, aren't going to just approach you. You're going to have to be proactive a little bit about it, reach out to brands yourself. Tell them why you want to you know, work with them, I use, their, you use their products, explain why you like, you love their products, et cetera. Um, and that will lead to a lot more opportunities, I think, if you can naturally um, talk about how you use that brand and on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, I think what I'm hearing both of you say in this point is be realistic um, and also play the long game. Oh, there's a sports reference. Look at that. I'm never the sports reference one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, I mean, I, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about your reputation being associated in the course of this episode, quite frankly, but This is one where I can see it going sideways, especially if you feel like you should be making more based on your emotional opinion of what that is instead of what the market actually will bear. And I love the point about the collectives versus the brand, right? Because you could see that's a prime example of how things could start to skew or go sideways or the expectations become bigger than what the opportunities actually are. And I think if you take a step back and you look at that logically, to me on the outside that makes perfect sense of why that would happen, right? That booster organization, that collective is very passionate about that university, that team or that player. And so they're willing to support the player in a more one-off capacity because of that affiliation instead of when you look at brands that it's much more of a business approach, right? And I have believed watching this whole thing come to life around NILs that this is actually an opportunity, unfortunately, for brands to pay less than they typically would or for new brands to enter the opportunity to even work with athletes, right? Because they can't afford the you know, the Olympic athletes, the pro athletes, all of that. So I think just honestly keeping your head on your shoulders and your ego in check and thinking about the reason that these brands are reaching out or these companies want you. And then also, I think it's just super smart to be proactive about it on your end. Because I think if you go after those brands that you really love and you want to be a part of them, then it makes it a bigger opportunity for you, the athlete, to get something out of it that goes beyond just the financial exchange of things. Mm Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I I agree with all that. And I can
0: tell you, I personally have picked athletes based on their interest with our brand, because, you know, to the point you were making before, Nick, it creates more of an authentic story. I have less that I have to be able to brief them and check their content and all that because they already are showing an affection for the brand. And yes, it was even tied. And yes, athletes like the brand, not just for the dollar (laughs) signs behind it. Um, it has some nostalgia value that they yep. appreciate and it gets your clothes clean. So there you go. But it also just, in, to the point you were making about even just doing some, it starts to build a credibility. And then you use the word reputation, April, which I think is right on that when other businesses are shopping for athletes and they see that you've done other brands, even if you got paid for by them or not, or you're doing it just to attract those brands, they start seeing you as more popular. It's like, oh, well, I see that they have done this. Now technically speaking, you're supposed to disclose when not you got paid or not when you do these social posts, but you know, if you didn't you probably you wouldn't have tagged that you got paid and some people are not savvy enough to understand that or, or see that. So they would see that you okay, well they maybe they're they're getting these endorsement deals. Okay, this they know what they're doing, they know how to do it and you know, maybe take a, a shot on them, you know. So mm-hmm. Do right by yourself and market yourself, I think, is a really good piece of advice. And don't just sit back and think that the brands are going to come to you because there's a lot of athletes to choose from. Um, make it easy for them to choose you, I think, is the the moral here.
2: Absolutely. You make a great point as well. And we see this all the time is athletes will engage with a brand, post content about it on their social media, and then they're talking about how they want to take it down about a week later. But I don't think they realize that other brands coming on their social and seeing them working with, seeing the content that they create um, is quality, um, will actually could lead to more opportunities on their end.
0: Absolutely, yep, good point. And I can say that, yeah, first firsthand, I can say that 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 works. All right. So just to recap, four insider tips a college athlete should know to better negotiate an NIL deal get appropriately compensated for exclusivity. A brand will try to get as much exclusivity as they can for as little cost as possible. Do not give up exclusivity without considering the implications and being compensated appropriately. Second, be really good at creating branded content. Content is king. will be the primary reason brands hire you. The better you are at creating content, especially content that reaps in brand messaging while still maintaining authenticity of tone, the more marketable you will be. Third, clarify usage rights and get the appropriate approvals from the team, university, and league. In most cases, the only NIL you have access to is yours, which means other deals may have to be negotiated if a brand wants you to be in your team's uniform, in front of university marks, or even for you to mention your team or your university. And finally, know your worth. This means doing your research and seeking the advice of people who know.
1: Marketing Smarts is sponsored by ScottMaltz.com scottmaut Scott Mautz is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmounts.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results, so we highly endorse him.
0: Our next section is into the Trenches. This is where we're going to go a little bit deeper into this topic using a little bit more specific examples and situations that we've come in contact with. And so hopefully you can see this within the context of maybe things that you are considering or you're negotiating in your head or in real life. So the first in the trenches question, a brand is asking for a blackout period. What is this and what should I expect? All right, so we've talked about a lot about the timing of exclusivity, the timing of usage rights. This is another aspect of timing, but it's a little bit different. So it's very typical for a brand to ask for a period of time around your deliverable that you don't do anything else. So for example, if you're scheduled to do a social post, then they will want you to not do a social post for a certain amount of time before that And after that, if you're doing an appearance where you're supposed to anticipated to generate some PR, there's going to be a time before that and after that, that you're not allowed to do any other PR. And there's a couple reasons for this. So one, the brand wants their time in the sun. So they don't want anything to dilute the impact, especially if they're paying you to do this. They want you to be able to have that single line to you are following, and they want your following to have time to absorb it, react to it, engage with it. So for a social post, that's generally 24 to 48 hours. So you should expect that there's going to be a blackout period around that. And that's for any post you do, not even your lifestyle posts, right? Again, it's to allow that post to breathe. From a PR standpoint, it's a little bit different. So you have to think about it from a media standpoint in that, depending, okay, on how popular you are, generally media will only want to talk to an athlete once every couple of months. Now, that could be different if you're in a highly intense time like olympics or something to that effect where you have a lot going on and there's something new to talk about every day but in general usually there's about a month before and after that your brand might say you can't do any other pr or any other media because if you do that then the media that we are going to go seek out for you may not want to talk to you because they just talked to you so of course you're going to want to limit as much as possible that amount of time so that you can be doing other brand stuff because it gets really crowded and very complicated very quickly, especially if there's a narrow window to try and negotiate all these things and being able for you to fully leverage it nil in these period of times. But you have to consider that this is a reality of the situation and you have to plan for that so Nick what have you seen with regards to blackout periods and how do you uh, instruct your folks how to, to manage this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in general, just the, the time period and the time of years is really important when it comes to any sort of blackout period. I think you need to look kind of ahead of what potentially could happen, um, especially if it's something that's in season, because um, you never know what moment that could pop up and you could potentially capitalize on um, with NIL. So uh, there, I'll give one example. There was a, a kid. I keep giving, going back to the March Madness example. I'm sorry, but I'm um, <laughs> a basketball guy. <laughs> but,
1: it is not um, even there, basketball season. What is wrong? I
2: know. I know. There, well, it's just starting. It, just started. but it could
0: be any. It could be any tournament, right? <laughs> yeah. It could be yeah, any tournament. Take this as a March Madness time period, but it could be any, any kind of playoff tournament. Anything that is in a condensed period of time where everybody's playing and it's like a lot of attention, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So there was this. There was this kid last year. His name is Doug. Um, and he was on a super small, um, he was at a super small school, and they ended up going crazy in the in the NCAA tournament. Um, and he got a, ended up getting a bunch of NIL deals. But um, if there would have been any sort of blackout period during that, he wouldn't have been able to capitalize on, on, on that opportunity. Um, so I'm assuming most of the deal that he signed during that time period did not involve any sort of um, period like that. And I think if someone is requesting that, they need to pay for it. And it needs to be Um, you know, significant amount because they have to account for the potential of something else that could happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great, and you know, we tease you about keep saying the March madness, but (laughs) I think all the examples throughout this episode have been really good. And I think Nick, you've said a few times here that you just never know what's going to happen. Right. And so for any athlete, there really is no predictability or guarantee to how well or not you're going to do. But I think it's super smart to just think about what are the possibilities within the time frame. Yeah. And then not that you can you know necessarily predict that good things or bad things are going to happen, but just think about all the things that could take place. And then formulate your decisions when it comes to the asks of these companies, whether it's a blackout period or any of the other things we've talked about today, what that will mean for you if those things occur. Um, and you know, we've said that this is an instance where you really have to be looking out for number one, and we haven't said that directly, but essentially that's this whole episode, right? Mm-hmm. Is what's the best thing for me? And on my best day, if X happened, then what would be my best situation when it comes to any sort of NIL deal that I may have or that I may be looking to get as a result of that?
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Some scenario planning is definitely beneficial, but don't make yourself crazy trying to think about all what ifs. Just trying to think about <laughs> well, like no. what the possible upside is and the possible downside and trying to make the best decision you can for yourself. And then you live and learn. Yes. That's kind of how it goes. There's also that, yes. Yeah. All right, so our second in the trenches question. A brand wants me to post during a tournament game. I am nervous about this because I'm not sure it's allowed, but I don't want to disappoint the brand. What do I do? And really, you can extrapolate this question. Anything a brand asks you to do that may be in violation of your team, your universities, or your league's rules. And really, here as April just mentioned, is this is you know where another one where you need to be looking at for yourself. You do not want to do anything that would compromise you, your team, your school, or your future. So it's an absolute hard no. It could be a very hard no to make, but you're going to absolutely have to do that. Because you do not want to get yourself into a situation where there's legal litigation action, um, or you put you compromise your your team's success um in any sort of way because you've done something that violates any rules that are been put in place. So don't assume anything, do your research, find out. And know that even if you get the approvals of your team in the university to do things like wear your marks or Those sorts of things know what the league, university and your team's rules are as well. So many have rules when you can leverage the and I only talked about this. So like especially come like March Madness time, there's lots of sponsors who are sponsoring that entity of March Madness. What you're doing may be in conflict with what they're doing. And so that becomes an issue. Uh, So you need to really consider what that looks like. So you need to understand the rules and make sure that you are not compromising yourself or your team in the context of those rules. And then also ask a lawyer. I mean, if you do not understand the language, if you do not understand what things mean, if you don't understand the the context for which all the terms are being described or laid out, ask a lawyer. And if you don't have a lawyer, go to your law school and ask somebody there. There's definitely somebody there who will understand contracts. They'll understand, even if they don't understand sports contracts specifically, they'll understand contracts enough. They can give you some prospect of what the risk is and what you're signing yourself up for. And also they can help you make sure you have some language in there that is going to protect you. So for example, you may have all the best intentions of the world to do certain appearances or social posts. And then your coach says, you can't do that. And that actually happened to us with Gronk. So at the very, (laughs) very like utmost professional things, he had this contract and Belichick said, no, you can't go do that. And he's like are you serious right now and that was at the very last minute so it happens to everybody don't let it happen to you and then also have them put some legalese in in case something happens to you that you can't fulfill your contract so what if you get injured and you can't play and then Mm -hmm. therefore you can't do it do you have to pay all the money back do you get paid up to that point in time so make sure you could try to mitigate some of the risk or some of the circumstances that can happen so that you can protect yourself and you're not just kind of left out there hanging to dry if something were to happen. Or if something happens to your team or your school that by virtue of association, now your brand no longer wants to work with you, that has happened too. So Nick, what other suggestions do you have here?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest key for sure is just keeping an open line of communication with all parties that are, even if they're not directly involved, um, indirectly involved as well, especially if you're um, engaging in some sort of deal at a partnership or or at a tournament or an event um so that could be number one your your athletic department um you definitely need to be keeping them abreast of any sort of deal that you're doing um within school uh grounds or within anything the school is involved in i think the coach point is extremely important as well i think now with nil coaches are you know getting more and more involved in these nil processes and sometimes coaches might have good ideas around how to um, structure certain things, um, but you also you don't know what exactly your your team rules are until you until you talk to your coach about it. So uh, this nil thing is such a new concept. So um, he could um, feel feel certain ways about certain things. So just keeping an open line of communication, I think, is is really important, and being able to check all those boxes before engaging in sort of nil deal uh, while at an event or in a tournament. And I think your point, if you can find some sort of you know legal person, whether it's your, a lot of every university pretty much has a, some sort of law department, even if they're not, you know, a complete professional lawyer, um, they, they probably have some sort of expertise around, you know, contracts and, and what you should look, really look out for the kind of the key points. Um, so I would really try to, you know, find someone within your network that um, is able to provide advice on that. Um, I think that's key.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you said the communication and what was going through my head is, you always want people to assume positive intent about you, right? And in this situation, it is so important because everything is so gray and a little bit up in the air. And so I think communication is one of the ways to protect yourself indirectly, really, is if you're perceived as someone who's trying to communicate, who's trying to keep everybody in the loop, who's trying to do the right thing, and then a mis- a misstep happens, there's probably a lot more patience associated with that than if you're in it for yourself, trying to pull off all these different deals, perceived to be trying to fill in the like, make a bunch of money, partner with a lot of brands, you know, you're losing focus on your game, all of those other types of things, mm-hmm. I think the communication can be Really critical and really helpful, especially because there is no rule book for this.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I agree with that wholeheartedly. All right. Our third and final in the
0: trenches question. And Nick, I'm going to turn this one over to you. If I want to use my yeah. NIL, what team do I need in place to support me? What do you recommend?
2: That's a great question. I think, you know, number one is you want to stay above law um, to every extent possible um so <laughs> if you're going to be engaging in a lot of nil deals make sure you have a relationship with someone within your athletic department um as well as your coach um, and just keep them abreast of things you're doing Um, because you never know when something's going to come back and, and bite you uh, if you didn't engage in something that was impermissible Um, i think having some sort of not i wouldn't call it agent but some sort of advisor when it comes to Doing any sort of nil deal is really important. Whether that is an actual agent out there, whether it's some sort of lawyer, even if it's some sort of you know parental figure, um, just make sure you're getting like second opinions on um, any deal that you're engaging in um, before you do so. I think another big one is talking to other athletes um, that are engaging in nil deals. Maybe talking to some of your teammates that have engaged, have engaged in a bunch of them already um and just getting their advice and some things that they've seen when negotiating or completing any sort of nil deal with a brand i think that's um you know pulling from actual experience is key um and you can learn a lot more you know from talking to people like that than someone who hasn't done any yet um and then i would say if you're on your own just educate yourself as much as possible there's tons of resources out there whether it's online resources or your school's resources Uh, different schools have different types of things they provide their student athletes Um, but just take advantage of those Um, there's tons of free videos on youtube and um, just consume as much as you possibly can to gain an understanding of um, you know how to do things um, before engaging in any any sort of things kind of blindly and then i would say lastly is maybe utilize if, if you're by yourself utilize some different platforms that um, provide you with guidance on certain things like that. Us being one of them, I'll plug myself real quick. Um, Very
0: good. But, I was waiting. But, yeah. uh, that's, that's expected, so you should. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: but find it, basically utilizing platforms that provide you with vetted opportunities as opposed to some random brand hits you up on social media and says yeah, we should work together. Probably that's probably not the best way to go about it. You need to. There's a lot of checks that you need to. Um, there's a lot of boxes you need to check when working with a brand. So. Um, utilizing some sort of platform it helps with that process and makes it a lot more seamless and make sure you're staying above law as well.
1: I think that's all awesome. And, I, you know, I think just to sort of put a fine point on what you said, because there isn't that rule book that I mentioned before, consulting with as many people as possible, but especially those who have been there and then proactively educating yourself as much as you can. I mean, you're speaking our language. Ann and mm-hmm, I consume mm-hmm. content just voraciously, I feel like, on anything that we're studying or or talking about. But I think that that can put you in a much better position to have a handle on how things are going to go, but also be proactive in your ability to navigate the situation because it is so new.
0: Yeah, I agree. And Nick, maybe you want to give a little bit of an overview about how no cap works. I'm going to ask you in a second to tell them where to find you. So if you want to put that in there too um and I, I guess we'll just roll that into the third section which is really when we have i guess we let you kind of give us the the wrap up anything else we have missed anything else that you want people to know about you about no cap so maybe as part of that you can give everybody an indication about how the platform works how they should reach out to you when you want them to reach out to you like what yeah. do they need to come prepared to talk about or, or to have at their disposal so just give everybody a little bit more intel on that
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, In terms of engaging with us, it's super easy. Um, I mean, go to our website, nocapsports.io and sign up. It's completely free. We never take any sort of money from athletes. Um, uh, Our kind of core client is the brand. Um, So we pick and choose which brands we want to work with. We like to work with quality brands that are willing to pay athletes what they're worth, um, I would say, is is a big key component of of what we do. But um, essentially what our platform does is connect athletes with opportunities to monetize their NIL. Um, And it's in a variety of different ways. So it's Brands posting deals that they're working on, athletes applying to it. It's brands sending direct deals to athletes that they find, um, or it's also it's also allowing athletes to kind of be more proactive and pitch brands and um, why they should work with them. So we just provide different avenues for these athletes to engage with potential opportunities and really kind of make it a key focus to make those opportunities vetted um, so they're not you know just super random and could be a taking advantage of athletes in, in general um but that's kind of brief overview of of what we do um but appreciate you letting me shout out there
0: <laughs> yeah anything else that we missed that you feel like they should know as they're thinking about this that we didn't cover
2: I don't think so I think you guys covered a significant amount I think that was great
0: all right awesome all right so just to recap the four insider tips a college athlete should know to better negotiate an NIL deal first get appropriately compensated for exclusivity a brand will try and get as much exclusivity as they can for as little cost as possible. Do not give up exclusivity without considering the implications and being compensated appropriately. Be really good at creating branded content. Content is king and will be the primary reason brands hire you. The better you are at creating content, especially content that weaves on brand messaging while still maintaining authenticity of tone, the more marketable you will be. Third, clarify usage rights and get the appropriate approvals from the team, university, and league. In most cases, the only NIL you have access to is yours, which means other deals may have to be negotiated if a brand wants you to be in your team's uniform, in front of university marks, or even for you to mention your team or university. And finally, know your worth. This means doing your research and seeking the advice of people who know, like Nick at NoCat. And with that, we'll say, go and exercise your marketing
1: smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com.